The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive with Dr. Rebecca Risk. Do you ever feel that even though nothing seems seriously wrong and you pass all the medical tests, that you still feel that your health, pain, and fatigue are completely out of control? It doesn't have to be that way. Listen to the tips and suggestions given on our program today and take back control of your health. Now, here is Dr. Rebecca Risk. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Falling Through the Cracks. I'm Dr. Rebecca Risk, and we're here today with Wyatt Palumbo. He graduated from Florida State University with a Bachelor's of Science in Chemical Engineering with a focus in in biochemical engineering. He founded Lifestyle Healing Institute in 2014 using a science-based treatment program that heals individuals quickly, safely, and without prescription medications. So, Wyatt, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So what inspired you um, to write this book? We're talking about your book, Don't Kill My Lyme, Just Get Me Better. So what inspired you to write that? Yeah, I'd say probably there were two main reasons. You know, one is that, you know, I've been sick myself uh, dating back six, seven years ago. So I kind of know what it's like to be on the other end of things and go through the carousel of, you know, prescription meds and doctor to doctor. And so I really wanted to find an approach that, you know, resonated with people And I didn't really want to write it to convince people that this was the best way. I just wanted to show people that there was another way to do it and provide, you know, as much science as I could to kind of show what various things were in relation to Lyme. And and my standpoint was is that most ways are exactly the same. So you have different ways to really attack the Lyme and make Lyme the main focus. And I wanted to kind of take the attachment off of that and look at it more from a different approach and just show people that there's another way to do it. Well, you know, what I, I liked about your book is um, it's a similar philosophy to, to what I um, I believe. You know, I've had Lyme for 22 years, and and uh, it took, you know, basically what you're talking about, getting the immune system strong and dealing with all the other factors um, that actually got me well as opposed to um, the Lyme being the only thing you focus on. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I mean, and I think I say it early on in the book that it's not like a revolutionary new way of doing it. It's kind of just a philosophy of benefiting the good to outweigh the bad, kind of like supplementing with a probiotic or something. So you benefit your good bacteria to outweigh the bad and help heal yourself. And basically just took that philosophy and put it to Lyme disease and just showed that you can work on the hormones, the brain, the gut, immune system, blood flow, circulation, mind, body, emotional stress, toxins, all these things, and that they can probably better explain your symptoms and they serve as a basis to get you better without having to focus on the Lyme and try to wipe out the Lyme in order to do it. So I just tried to take an old philosophy and adopt it to a newer disease. So um, before we get into all of that, I think it might be important for us to explain exactly what Lyme disease is. Yeah, Lyme disease is basically a bacterial infection, and it's an opportunistic pathogen. And you can get it from from uh, ticks, but you know there's a lot of recent kind of buzz out there. I'd say no completely proven research in either direction that you can get it from. You know, dogs, cats, uh, mosquitoes, but, you know, the only real proven way to get it right now is through ticks. Um, but you get it, and if you have a compromised immune system, then you end up contracting Lyme disease. And so the CDC's definition is a little bit different than, you know, what I would categorize it as. But basically, it's just an infection that you get um, primarily from ticks. So, um what what does our immune system have to do with this? Well, you know, an, an opportunistic pathogen or an opportunistic bacteria is basically one that looks for the right 
conditions in order to cause problems. And the right conditions for Lyme to cause symptoms and to cause issues and an infection, the big player in that is a compromised immune system. And your immune system is basically your defense system. So if it gets compromised at any point through, you know, whatever it really is, the stress or toxins or whatever it can be, then you end up providing an environment that Lyme tends to thrive in. And so that's when you tend to get symptoms from it. So um, I know this is not something everybody thinks about. I mean, it's a conversation that I've had a lot. But um, when we're looking at, you know, a, a compromised immune system, what does that mean for somebody when that happens? Yeah, so... Again, our immune system is basically our defense system, and you're, you're born with a certain amount, and then you acquire a certain amount. And so uh, the, the two main players to compromise your immune system are toxins, and that's from mainly the environment or industry, like plastics and molds and benzene from smoke and pain, and even, you know, car fresheners can be toxins. And, and then the other really major, major player is stress, and whether that's mental or emotional or physical stress on the body. And what that does is it compromises your immune system, and it lowers your defenses. So it makes you more susceptible to incoming invasions of bacteria and viruses. And, you know, one of the good examples is uh, one of the herpes viruses that manifests as kind of cold sores. A lot of people who have that, when they get stressed out, it ends up coming out in a cold sore. And so that's basically showing you the effects that stress has that causes these viruses and these things you have in your body to become more rampant. And it also leaves you more susceptible to incoming entities that can cause a disruption. And so that's where Lyme really causes a lot of symptoms is where those, that defense system is becoming deficient. And those are really the two big players are the toxins, excuse me, and the stress. So with, with what you're saying, just to, to clarify, basically it's the, the weak immune system that's allowing the Lyme to, to run rampant. Yeah, that's the main contributor. And then from there, it kind of causes this cascading effect. But that seems to be the... the big underlying theme of how the initial effect infection comes to play and causes the symptoms. So um, when, when we're looking at all of this, just to um, go through some the points in your book, there, there was a lot of talk about biofilm, which is a favorite topic of mine. And can you just explain what this has to do with Lyme? Yeah, well, I'm fascinated by biofilms in general, I would say. And uh, it all started when we were testing them a lot, and everybody ended up having uh, a lot of things in their biofilm. And a biofilm is basically a protective fortress that infectious disease and other things like fungus and uh, candida, they build to shield themselves from your immune system. So it's basically a fort. So you can have these, these things can coexist with you. And, and what they end up doing is they build this because they'd rather not be free-floating. They'd rather be stable. And this allows them to be stable, and they harvest their nutrients, and they live. And when I was first kind of getting into this, we were testing biofilms through testing, and everybody was coming back positive with bugs. And I posed the question to myself, really, Either the test is faulty or everybody has bugs in their biofilm. And it ended up being that the test was accurate and that everybody has things in their biofilm. And so that's when I really came to the conclusion that you can coexist with these things and your blood is not completely sterile in that there's nothing floating around in it. There's always things floating around in it. It's just how significant and how much is floating around is really the better question to ask. So they build this fortress and that's how they survive. And it's ended up, it ends up being shielded from your immune system. So you can't attack it on your own. You need help. So um, what is exactly what's happening inside the biofilm? Oh, the biofilms are basically like this complex, interconnected community of all of themselves. There's research that they communicate with each other. They have uh, metabolic systems where they, they process nutrients, they get rid of waste. Again, they talk to each other, which is a phenomenon that they labeled as quorum sensing. And they basically 
take some nutrients from you and they coexist with you and they're free from your immune system so you really can't attack them. And it's this really, really diverse community, almost like a city. Okay. And so the uh, the biofilms are there to protect the bacteria? Yeah, basically is my understanding um, because since you can't attack them, it's basically their own protection. And biofilms have been around for basically all of existence. And they, our immune systems have evolved alongside of biofilms. So they've been chasing us and adapting to us and surviving off us for years. And so I just don't think the best thing to do is kind of provoke them and attack them. I think that you can coexist with them and not cause any problems. And they're basically shielded from your immune system, and that's their form of protection. Okay, so um, when we're dealing with with Lyme, um, one of the first things people do is they go on antibiotics. So what happens when somebody does that? Yeah, so if you get the typical bullseye rash and you catch it really early, uh, bacteria in general... And these things in general, they, they're free-floating, so they're, they're going around in your bloodstream, and they don't settle into a biofilm right away. So it takes, generally speaking, a few weeks in order for them to find their community and build their home in this biofilm structure. And so antibiotics are super effective if you catch it before it goes into this biofilm and it's a free floating going along before it kind of makes its home. And they're very effective if you catch it before then. But the problem is, is over 90% of people don't know they have Lyme or don't see the bullseye, don't even know they got bit. And sometimes it's years later before they end up finding out or getting diagnosed. And at that point, antibiotics are just too late because once they build a biofilm, antibiotics are completely impervious to biofilms and actually they're quite dangerous because they cause the biofilm to adapt and become more resistant to any incoming therapy, whether that's additional antibiotics or even natural-based therapies like herbs and enzymes. It makes any sort of infection more treatment-resistant the time that you use antibiotics if it's a biofilm disease. And They have it as, uh, I think it's the National Institute of Health has it at about 80% of infectious disease, Lyme included, builds a biofilm. So if you're catching these things really late, antibiotics are just not the right way to go. Well, you know, it's... um... I, I, I definitely agree with you on that. It's my experience. And um, I actually took a month of antibiotics because it wasn't explained to me um, that it would be years. And it wasn't even something that I, I believed uh, very strongly in. I was a herbalist, still am, obviously. And um, it, it didn't go well for me at all. It caused a huge amount of pain. And, you know, now that I understand better, I, I don't even have the genetics to deal with pharmaceuticals very well. So, um, you know, it's, uh, uh, it set me down a, a, a bad start on my journey. Um, and so I started doing what I do, treating Lyme naturally to give people an option that wasn't there for me at that time. Yeah, and I'll tell you that I'm in the same boat. And, you know, I'm, I'm never really here to say, like, you know, this treatment's not good or this treatment's great or go to this doctor or go to that one. But, you know, I just want to show people that there's another way to do it. And I'm completely in your camp that, you know, education is really the key for me. And anytime that people come in, we see them every single day to get feedback. And it's really about education because you have to know how you got here and you got to be your own biggest advocate and have all the tools and the knowledge to know because, a lot of times, you know, you put your faith in people that you hope can really help you, but they may not have the tools, and sometimes you're trusting them because you don't have any other choice, and that's not really right the right way, you know. it's just it's, it, That's why I'm just trying to get as much information out there as possible to so people are really well-informed on what the best treatment option is and to say maybe I'd try something different before antibiotics or or maybe antibiotics are appropriate or whatever it is. Or like you said, maybe you test your ability to process antibiotics because maybe they're effective, 
but the detriment of taking them outweighs the effectiveness of the medication. So, you know, everything has its positives and negatives, and antibiotics are one that, you know, were a game changer, you know, back in World War II and like the 1940s, but uh, at this point, they're just making more and more infections, more treatment-resistant, and causing... Uh, you know, unwanted side effects to the gut and the brain and the immune system that, in my opinion, I just don't think it's worth it a lot of the time. Well, you know, obviously antibiotics have a a really good place in our society, but when we're looking at a treatment that, you know, could go on for years and being on antibiotics that long, it it seems to, and then, of course, your gut is 80% of the immune system, and then they're they're damaging your gut. It seems to me... Um, in my opinion, to be contraindicated in a long-term infection treatment. Um, And I've always wanted to give people a choice and an option. And I want, like you said, it's education so people know that there are other options. Yeah, I completely agree. And and to be honest, uh, I'd categorize, you know, your your month-long antibiotic treatment is relatively short from the people (laughs) in my experience that we're seeing here. I mean, I've seen people that have been on over 50 different medications and and so many different antibiotics and and have put ports in their chest and and done it at home for for two or three or five years and it's just it it just you know it kind of breaks your heart to see that kind of stuff but um that's like you said it's all about the education thing and but in my experience like it's just a month is relatively short. I mean, I'm seeing people that are months and years on these antibiotics and, you know, just want to kind of create at least a paradigm shift in the options that you have for these chronic diseases because short-term infections, antibiotics are unbelievably effective and were life-changing and game-changing to medicine. But with these chronic persistent infections that we're seeing nowadays, uh, they just don't seem to be as good of an option. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Wyatt Palumbo. He's the author of Don't Kill My Lime, Just Get Me Better. We'll be back shortly. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health & Wellness. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Now there's a new destination for video content. VoiceAmerica.tv. Just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7. VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us support you your life your health your network you're listening to voice america health and wellness you are listening to falling through the cracks with your host dr rebecca risk to reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. 
Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Falling Through the Cracks. Today, we're talking with Wyatt Palumbo. He founded the Lifestyle Healing Institute in 2014 and is the author of Don't Kill My Lyme, Just Get Me Better. So, Wyatt, um, you know, we're talking about Lyme disease and just wondering if you can tell us what um, Lyme disease looks like in a patient. Well, Lyme disease, I would say, is one of the only disorders that presents itself in the most ways that I've ever seen thus far. So some people it presents in neurological symptoms from, you know, depression, anxiety, insomnia, to joint pain, to, you know, migraines, to hormone issues, to gut issues, to nausea, to diarrhea. It just seems to encompass a wide umbrella of symptoms. And so that also, you know, led us here to do a lot of analysis of kind of each system because you really want to pinpoint what's kind of going on because Lyme just seems to basically explain all of these symptoms, but in our opinion, it, it, it's missing a little bit, and it seems to only be a piece of the puzzle as opposed to the only thing causing all of these entities. So... um you know, we, we talked about biofilms before the break, and then um, there are some other forms that the Lyme can take as well. So you can just explain those a little bit? Yeah, so a lot of people kind of think of Lyme, and if you know a, li- a little bit about it and you see it in an image, it, it looks like a traditional spirochete with a little head and a little tail on it. Um, but there's a lot of research that shows that it can exist in a, you know, a few more forms. The two most common are and then the other one is acellular membrane. And cystic, basically, it curls up into a ball and kind of looks like a cyst or a ball-type shape. And the theory behind that, which you know seems to make sense to me, is that the more you treat it and the more you go after it, the more it puts its shields up and it kind of morphs shapes into a different uh you know, kind of shape of Lyme disease. And then the other one is an acellular membrane, which means it doesn't have a cell membrane or basically surrounding layer to it, which those ones are a little bit more interesting and more difficult to treat because they basically can go along with the wind and they they steal parts of your uh, nutrients. They can uh, adapt uh, viruses that you have and change genetic code. Um, So those ones are a little bit, more advanced and a little bit harder to treat, but I also think it's very interesting that, you know, one disease can take multiple different forms in the body. Well, you know, and it it speaks to the complications of treating it where we're we're often told you just need two weeks of antibiotics and everything we're seeing in the show. That's only if it's like the day you're bitten. And, uh, you know, if the Lyme is in biofilm or is taking all these other forms, you're just not going to get anywhere. Yeah, and that's why I think testing is real important. And, you know, it, it's it's something that I feel like goes overlooked uh, really in any disorder, whether it's depression or or uh, nausea or more complicated things like Lyme or fibromyalgia. You know, it, you just don't do enough testing to kind of get to the bottom of it. And Lyme is what I would classify as a stealth infection, so it's very difficult to test for. But so they run a traditional, you know, CDC Western blot Lyme test, and if you have, you know, five out of eight IgG bands or two out of three, you know, uh, IgM or IgA bands, then you're 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 positive for it. But if you have four out of five, you're negative, and it's just it's a little bit black and white. So they'll run a different test called a PCR test, and they'll replicate your DNA and see how many times. The, the Lyme comes up in a mutated DNA, but again, you know, you probably have to use multiple different tests just for Lyme itself to get an indication of how the infection is, is playing out. And, and to me, it's not as black and white as do you have it or do you not? I think a lot of people have weird infections and parasites and viruses. I think the, you know, the better question to ask is, how significant is the infection? Because if you're at four out of five bands and then you're at five out of five and you're automatically positive, that's a little bit too black and white. But if you go on an order of significance, then you can classify kind of how large the contribution is for any kind of disease or any kind of infection. And I think Lyme would be much better served if it were classified like that. But unfortunately, 
it's just not the way it goes right now. Well, you know, there, there's a lot of controversy about Lyme and, and how to diagnose it. And I know that can cause issues because we don't have any testing that, that's perfect yet. And, you know, I'm, I'm in Canada and it's definitely worse here because we only have one standard test across the country that doesn't do anything. Um, we don't have the same access to many tests the way you do in the States. Um, you know, and that leaves a lot of people not getting diagnosed and thinking that they've ruled it out as well. Um, and yeah, I think, and I, yeah. I, I think that that's a big common uh, setback with just medicine in general, but especially with Lyme. And uh, our uh, basis of doing it is to kind of test how the body's responding to infections in general uh, and toxins in general. And so if you, if you test the body's response, <laughs> then you're not as concerned because you can go on a wild goose chase and test for thousands of different viruses and bacteria, and you may never find one, or you may find a whole bunch. But like I said, we're trying to figure out if it's significantly affecting you today. Is it really high up on your list of potential causes for why you feel the way you feel? And so if you test the immune system and inflammatory markers and markers that are associated with with toxicity or, or markers that are associated with infections, including Lyme, then it, it kind of helps you see because the other thing about it is that my threshold to Lyme or my threshold to toxins might be different than yours. And so if we just black and white test, do you have this toxin or this infection, then you get into a yes or a no game, but my threshold might be five pounds of toxins and yours might be 10 and that may show up as the same value on the test. And so if you look at what the body is telling you, you have to, you, you can better ascertain how that person is handling an infection or a toxin as opposed to really going on, in my opinion, kind of a wild goose chase to figure out which toxin or which infection it is. Because oftentimes people don't present with just Lyme disease. It's pretty much actually 100% of the time, nobody presents with just Lyme disease. You have other infections and other things going on. And so we test for a lot of the body's ability to handle these things. And then that kind of tells us how significant the infection can be. So when we're looking at, you know, immune weakness, which we've talked about, and then Lyme, and then of course, there are other infections with Lyme. Um, I mean, we've got this whole complex of multiple things going on. Um, what, I, I guess, I mean, how is that affecting people if, you know, if we're talking about immune weakness, I guess, um, it, and I know that's where you focus is getting the immune system working better. Am I making sense here? <laughs> yeah, for sure, yeah. And, okay. <laughs> you know, our focus is uh, uh, Connolly. Uh, kind of heavily weighted on uh, a multifaceted approach. So we're trying to get the immune system up and the brain balance and the gut healthy again and, and take a look at the hormones. But the big triad is is the brain, the immune system, and the gut. And if you can help one, you can help them all. And if you help them all, you really get the ball rolling. Um, but in in response to your question of how these different kind of infections play a role. If your immune system's really weak, then you're more susceptible to more infections, not just Lyme. And so uh, one of the numbers that we really look for is called a CD4, CD8 ratio. And it's basically a measure of your global body-wide and brain-wide immunity. And if that's really, really off, then you could see how susceptible somebody will be to infection and how significant the infections are going to play a role. And so um, we're not as much looking for how many co-infections or weird-looking stuff there is as much as how the body's handling it. Because like I said, you may be able to handle 10 co-infections and I may be able to handle five, but our, our immune values may be exactly the same. And so our, our, it's really individualized how much any one person can handle. And so that's more of what we're looking for. 
So is this, um, does this explain why there are some people, um, you know, sometimes siblings or even people that are related where or partners where one, you know, they'll te- all test positive and uh, one is bedridden and one is like, I feel fine. What are you talking about? Oh, yeah. And we've tested entire families and, and you know, uh, two daughters, a mother and a father. The mother's, like you said, bedridden. The uh, father got tested because the mother had it, has no symptoms. The kids only got tested. They're in school. They don't know anything that's going on, have no symptoms whatsoever. They just got tested because the mom and the father have it, and all of them are positive. And that's why Lyme is so difficult to really wrap your arms around because it presents itself so many different ways. But if when we did our further digging and analysis, the, the children and the father in that case had you know very decent immune systems uh didn't didn't have many other things going on but the mom and the wife uh, she had infections she had all these toxins she had uh kind of a gut that wasn't absorbing a leaky gut type thing her hormones were way off and so she had a lot of things going on which you know further contribute to a weak immune system which further contributes to Lyme causing symptoms and so uh, you know, kind of long answer to your question, but definitely. Yeah. So when when we're looking at say treating somebody that's that sick, as the example of the the mother wife, um, you know, how would you start with somebody who's bedridden? I mean, the the traditional um, there's a traditional Lyme reaction, the Herxheimer reaction, which she probably doesn't tolerate very well. So what would you do with somebody that's that sick? Yeah, so that's the whole premise of the, I would say, the system here is that uh, we don't feel like you have to kill Lyme disease and go through a Herxheimer reaction in order to attack the Lyme in order to feel better. And so someone who's bedridden in that case first, you know, you, you want to get all the testing done. And there's so many things that you can work on without attacking Lyme disease that actually can get you better in and of themselves. And we found that over 90% of the time, people that have uh, positive tests for Lyme in the past or, or just before coming or whatever it is, can get better and stay better without going through a Herxheimer reaction, without killing Lyme and killing Lyme with antibiotics or killing Lyme with herbs and enzymes in a natural way. And so step one is the testing, and step two is that you, we don't feel like you have to go through a Herxheimer reaction to get better. And on top of that, even in the 10% where you infections are running so rampant that they need to be addressed, the body is so in a weakened state, and like you said, they're bedridden. So to go through a Herxheimer reaction is only going to make it worse and make them experience more symptoms. And all medicine should be about is reducing suffering and improving quality of life. And in my opinion, to make somebody go through that type of therapy when they already feel so bad as it is is just not the right way to go and you know so if you build the body back up you build the immune system you build up the brain oftentimes the body helps repair itself and we're just really glorified facilitators and just putting the pieces into play but the body does all the work and so even if that person is in what we would call the 10 percent of people where infections are a big problem or Lyme is a big problem they still can't do that to begin with. They still have to go through the build-up process before you do that because Herxheimer's just make things worse, even if it's the right thing to do. So can you just explain what a Herxheimer is? Yeah, so a Herxheimer reaction uh, was classified a little bit ago by Jarish and Herxheimer, and they were looking at syphilis, and when they tried to attack it, what it would do is it would give off one last bit of toxins before it would die. And nothing really wants to die, so it's kind of the last-ditched effort of uh, a pathogen or, an, or a bacteria that, you know, release their last bit of toxins when you're trying to kill them. And with Lyme, this is in the bio, it's, most, it's best seen in the biofilm, and you go and you try to attack it, and what it does is re- releases all its toxins because it's annoyed that you're trying to kill it. And if you're going to kill it, it's going to release all of its toxins. And uh, common, a common 
misconception is that when you're feeling a Herxheimer reaction, you're only feeling attacking the Lyme. But in reality, you're attacking this biofilm, and I equate it to basically like you're looking at the Hoover Dam, and then you put some dynamite right on that concrete, you know, front there, and the floodgates just open because you're releasing candida and fungus and toxins and any other co-infection that's in the biofilm because all of them live in the biofilm. So what you're feeling is all of that on top of trying to kill the Lyme and these other infections, and it really causes all of that excess toxins that they release from the Herxheimer reaction causes your brain to get hot-wired, it causes your hormones to plummet, your immune system to either go way up or way down, uh, destroys the gut lining, it, it, it clogs up the circulation and, and makes things tough to move, and those are what causes all the symptoms of brain fog and pain and headaches and sleep issues and anxiety. That's what causes all the issues. Um, well, that's definitely not something I enjoyed, and I I think that um, most people with Lyme don't like feeling that way. <laughs> so we're going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Wyatt Palumbo. He's the author of Don't Kill My Lyme, Just Get Me Better. We'll be back shortly. Your life, your health, your network. Voice America Health & Wellness. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're talking with Wyatt Palumbo. He's the author of Don't Kill My Lime, Just Get Me Better. So, Wyatt, um, you know, we've talked a lot about how, you know, Lyme is is really has to do with the immune system. So, um, you know, in your book, you talk about different things that can weaken the immune system. And the first one is, um, you know, stress. So can you just talk about what that does to us? Yeah, I mean, stress is uh, basically just toxic on a fundamental basis. I mean, there's research out there that it even changes your genetics on a molecular level on how dangerous it can be. And there's there's more and more research coming out linking, you know, stress and depression to, you know, more heart disease and um, more issues going on with the body, you know, kind of left and right. And it's unfortunate that that's kind of, part of the course when it comes with Lyme disease. And so um, basically you see it manifest itself in a lot of ways, but there's 
really no disease or more especially chronic disease that doesn't have an emotional or stress component to it. Some people it's 80 or 90%. Some people maybe it's only 5 or 10 or 20%. But each symptom and each disease, especially Lyme and chronic disease, has an emotional or a stress component to it. And, you know, part of it is just from being sick so long that that's, you kind of get your brain rewired in a pattern that doesn't serve you. And so you, you, it's a really high priority to help achieve kind of a healthy mind and, and look at the, the world in a different way and rewire these patterns to, to be positive for you. But if you can do that in combination with, you know, healing some of these physical symptoms that, you can detach yourself of the label of Lyme disease and really kind of have a new lease on life. Well, you know what? I've done a lot of shows on stress and and emotions, mindfulness. Um, I think that, you know, one of the things um, is that we forget is that we're human. And so, of course, we are going to have stress and emotions and it's a constant battle, just like other parts of our health, to um, keep those healthy and and to continue to work on them. No, I completely agree. And it's not an overnight change. Uh, it's, it's something that takes a long time. And uh, I know probably from, from you, you know, getting diagnosed uh, 22 years ago at the Lyme and myself, having Lyme and really suffering from depression, anxiety, and insomnia and getting put on all these medications and all these things, you know, your brain gets wired in a way that just doesn't serve you anymore. And and whatever you do every day becomes normal to you. So a lot of these people, including myself, you know, you really don't like to be asked, how are you doing? Because it's just the same thing. It's either bad, really bad, or less bad. It's a zero, one, two, or three. And yeah. it's just, it's not, it's not a great feeling to be under, but you know, it, it, the more you can change that and develop those patterns to serve you, then the better off you're going to be. And it's not the whole battle, but it's part of the battle. Well, you know, one of the things for me is I spent so long with people telling me it was all in my head when I was um, finally diagnosed, I realized how much of my depression and anxiety had been from the Lyme, but also that had been there. So it was something that I definitely had to work on because it had been so long that I had been, of course, not recognized and I had felt that way. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think pretty much everybody gets to that point, especially the people that come here because it's kind of the last stop. And I was told that myself, either it's your fault or you're crazy or it's all in your head. And it's a really crappy thing to tell someone, especially when they're not doing well. And I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of big yogas out there. But Iyengar, you know, is real famous for saying, you know, it's hard to meditate. It's hard to heal yourself if you're always in pain and you're always suffering. So he created prop-based yoga to relieve the suffering so people could really do the real healing. And, you know, our mentality here is that we got to get you to sleep and reduce anxiety and, and, and get you more energy and lift your depression and just make you feel a lot better. And then, and then it's a lot easier to work on the stress or the mind or the emotional component, but it's really, really hard to do that. Uh, when you really don't feel well and so it's all things are kind of intertwined together and it's a shame that people are told that but at the same time uh, it, it kind of helps when they come here and there's finally a reason for it and you could see just it lift off their face to kind of be validated that there's a reason for not feeling you know so well so when we're looking at the the role of the immune system and of course we talked a lot about how toxicity is playing a role in that um how do pharmaceuticals fit into this yeah and so you know toxins you know in in the way i categorize them they fall into industrial toxins from things that were polluting or plastics and you know things that we use in our piping system to environmental to mold you know fires and all that stuff but it also can be grouped into pharmaceuticals because uh, pharmaceuticals are foreign bodies and our, our immune systems and our bodies don't perceive them as being normal and, you know, something that they know what's going on with. So they process it basically like a toxin. And so for your long-term health, it really serves you to get off of them. And 
what we found is, you know, part of the line treatment that we were kind of having some people that were on, you know, 13, 17 different medications at one time, and a lot of their issue was just that they were on so many of these medications, masking symptoms, accompanying on drugs because the drug causes a symptom, so they go on a different drug, and we realized, you know, we got to find a way to get these people off the medications, and so part of the program here and part of you know, what we really pride ourselves on is being able to detox people off of prescription medications without having to go through withdrawal in the traditional sense. So, you know, no heart rate increases, no blood pressure increases, no seizures, no pupil dilation, sweating and all that. And and we're able to get people off of very, very high doses of medications in a matter of weeks. And you sh- people just go from kind of ghost-like figures to they get life in their face just from backing down off the medications because ultimately they're also a toxin. Well, I'm not sure how anybody can process that many pharmaceuticals. It's quite the burden on their liver. And I I know, you know, we just haven't, there hasn't been enough studies on how those are interplaying with each other when there's that much going on. No, oh, yeah, there's really not much research on the long-term effects, kind of, kind of ironically, when you see the long-term effects, it pops up with a lawyer commercial on TV that says, you know, if this happened to you because of this medication, call and you can get some money. That's when you find out what the long-term detriments of that specific one are. And, you know, again, everything, nothing's black and white, so there are times when pharmaceuticals are needed. Just think we're in a day and age where they're being overused, especially like opiate-like medications and benzodiazepines like Xanax and and Valium and things. They're just being overutilized because really those are short-term meds. And a lot of these people come in through no fault of their own addicted to these medications because that was what they thought was the best course of action. And unfortunately, they go years before getting a Lyme diagnosis. And like I said, we've seen people on multiple people like it's not even a rare situation that people are on 10 plus medications at one time and so you know it's definitely a high priority to get people off of it but the cool thing is is the body responds so quickly and it knows what to do that you don't really have too many long-term or these crazy kind of permanent damages and so although there's not many long-term studies on it if you do get off of these there's no reason to believe you can't make kind of a full recovery um, so one thing you mentioned that there, there's, you know, pharmaceuticals are one of the toxins people are experiencing and, and environmental toxins played a huge role in in my illness. And, you know, I have this conversation every day with people and, and people have no idea what's going on, you know, in their environment. So you can just talk about, um, you know, what that, that means and, and how people can protect themselves from that. Yeah, and so I'd say that the... The number one most common environmental toxin that you'll run into is a mold toxin. Um, you know, if we were kind of building fires within our homes every day or painting our homes every day, be talking about, you know, benzene and toluene respectively, but uh, we spend up to 90% of our time indoors, and the National Institute of Health uh, has it that 50 to to 70% of homes have poor air quality due to mold toxins. And a lot of people look at mold as like, you know, yeah, they know not to eat it when they have a fuzzy strawberry or they know when they look at it, maybe they bleach it in their home. But it runs far deeper than that because you can have a predisposed genetic susceptibility to toxins, uh, especially mold, where your body doesn't process it as well as other people. And so it's not the actual mold. Certain mold species produce toxins, and those toxins that you breathe in are what causes a lot of the detrimental effects. So very kind of um, minimal things that you can do that could drastically improve your health is to test your home for mold, um, make sure that's good air quality, um, remediate properly, and, and potentially even get out of a you know a lease if you're leasing it. Um, you can make some dietary changes, and you can go on some kind of detox support. And at a minimum, those few things, along you know with some exercise, can really dramatically change your life without really spending much money or having to go to anybody to to change anything. So when um, what are the signs somebody to know that there is mold in their home? 
The number one sign is to know, uh, to draw the correlation between when you started getting sick and if you moved into a new home or if you had some sort of leak happen at the same time because it's not in everybody that we see mold in these toxins, but a good 30 to 40% are heavily infected by it. And I could say, like, you're on the phone with them and you say, oh, my symptoms started two and a half years ago. And you say, basically, what happened two and a half years ago? And you'd be surprised how many people say, I moved or we had a leak or, you know, something along those lines. And that's the easiest way to tell. But the most obvious symptoms that you get are, are uh, breathing uh, issues like asthma type symptoms and then you'll get sleep issues anxiety and gut issues really really quickly but you know to to sit back and kind of say like i haven't been feeling well for the past few months or year or so if you can think about that type of thing it'll really help you put the pieces together and sometimes it's as simple as moving or remediating or getting out of there that could just drastically change your health. I mean, we had someone with bronchitis like every other month and we, we uh, tested the home and put an air purifier in there and he was a kid, his eight-year-old kid and no longer had bronchitis anymore just from the change in the air quality. Um, well, that, that's pretty significant for sure. It can make a difference. So um, if somebody's listening and they're just wondering how to get a hold of you or your book, um, how can they do so? Yeah, so the two best ways are uh, the book is on Amazon, uh, Don't Kill My Lime, or you can type in my name, uh, Wyatt Palumbo, or uh, you can go to lifestylehealinginstitute.com. There's a contact form on there. There's a lot of really good information about Lyme and its accompanying symptoms and some of this other stuff we've been talking about. Um, but you can email us or, you know, there's a link to the book right on there and you can kind of, you know, go from there. Well, that's perfect. I want to thank you so much for joining me today. No, thank you for having me. <laughs> I want to thank everybody for listening. We were uh, talking today with Wyatt Palumbo, the author of Don't Kill My Lime, Just Get Me Better. Join us for the rest of May where we're going to be discussing more on Lyme. It's Lyme Awareness Month. So thanks so much for listening and be sure to make today a great day. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Please join Dr. Rebecca Risk again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk more next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.